3: Justice! O royal duke, veil your regard upon a wronged. I would fain have said a maid. O worthy prince, dishonor not your eye by throwing it on any other object till you have heard me in my true complaint and given me justice. Justice! Justice! Justice!
1: Relate your wrongs. In what? By whom? Be brief. Here is Lord Angelo shall give you justice. Reveal yourself to him. O worthy duke, you bid me seek redemption of the devil!
0: Hello and welcome to The Play's The Thing. My name is Tim McIntosh. This is your podcast for all things Shakespeare. And that was Isabella asking the recently returned Duke for justice. And you heard those last lines when the Duke said, speak to Lord Angelo about your justice. And Isabella said, you bid me seek redemption of the devil. Uh, I am joined again by Galen Marie Hurd. Who, if you have not listened to the first four episodes, Galen is my wife, and we have been starting every episode of the last four acts, and we're going to start the same way this time with a little parenting corner first. Hey, Galen, welcome back to the show.
4: Hi, Tim. Thank you.
0: Um, maybe you could tell the audience where you are and where I am because we're not both at home.
4: Mm-hmm. I'm in my our living room and dining room, and kitchen. (laughs) Uh, I'm in our studio apartment and you are in a little booth in your co-working space.
0: And we've been keeping people abreast of our kind of travails, trying to put our beautiful little daughter, Arden, a name taken from Shakespeare's As You Like It. Um, We've been kind of talking through the sleeping obstacles that she has presented us as parents. So how did tonight go? We're recording in the evening. You put her down as I kind of came down to the office space. How'd it go, Galen?
4: I think I I hoped that starting a little bit later, she'd be a little more tired and go a little bit faster. And. As we talked about on a previous episode, like hope is um, is dangerous.
0: dangerous. Hope. <laughs> hope is dangerous.
4: Your, your hopes can be dashed. And yes, my hopes were dashed tonight. She, she just took the full hour. She likes an hour to go
0: to sleep of wind down.
4: Just, yeah, just it takes that whole time for her little system to, to let it go. But it really is about my expect. My expectations are the are the
0: most challenging part. That's what needs to be calibrated is your expectations. That's the problem. I don't know of anybody who's (laughs) going to say, "Oh, an hour." If you just dial in an hour with your baby to get ready, I don't think anybody's going to. I don't think anybody's going to say, "Yeah, it's your problem, Galen." (laughs) You know, just calibrate for an hour. I don't think anybody's going to say that.
4: I feel like we should highlight a couple wonderful things, though. She danced with me today for the first time. Awesome. Yeah. Um, she held my friend's hand while we were on a walk. Like, yes, that's right. And, like, you told me about that. Yeah. We walked together. It was, yeah.
0: Yeah. We're okay. leading with the only feature of our daughter that we're not crazy about, but like everything else, we just, oh my gosh, she's just, and we love her. Um Galen, I just wanna remind the audience that we are gonna be joined a little bit later by Mary Pat Rogers. I'm gonna give Mary Pat's bio when we bring on Mary Pat. We asked her to come on because she did master's work at the University of Dallas on this play, specifically the conclusion of Measure for Measure. I wanted her to come and speak into how she sees the end of the play galen act five here is my shorthand name for act five are you ready for it it's both cheesy and like literary nerd at the same time i'm ready i call this act duke ex machina Mm -hmm. because the duke comes on Mm -hmm. after having been in disguise the first four three and a half acts Mm -hmm. and he returns And he sets everything straight. So like Duex Machina, the kind of plot device where you just sort of like drop in a character who solves all of the problems in a kind of sometimes a ham-fisted kind of way. That's a little bit how this act goes for me. The Duke comes in. There are all these problems. Marriage. Oh, gosh. um, Life and death issues. Mm -hmm. marriage issues, legal issues, and the Duke comes in and he solves all of them.
3: Mm -hmm.
0: Like a God appearing on the stage. Yeah. I even wonder if we're supposed to kind of think of him a little bit like a God on the stage. But I think Mm -hmm. that's another question for another time. Galen, I'm going to ask you to help me do a lot of plot work before we start getting into the questions, because I want to do the plot Mm -hmm. before we get into whether or not we find these solutions that the Duke presents us to be satisfying. Um, Okay, so beginning of the act, Duke enters the city to much acclaim. The city has been waiting for his return. He brings forward Angelo and Aeschylus. He thanks them. And then we hear Isabella, from the audio that we heard at the top of the show, crying for justice. She has been wronged by Angelo, the man who has been in the Duke's place. She comes forward. She brings her complaint to the Duke. She calls Angelo a murderer and a hypocrite, an adulterous thief, a virgin violator. And the Duke, who knows everything, Yeah. He has been behind the scenes watching everything. And I kind of expected, I wonder if you did, that the Duke is going to be like, yep, Angelo, defend yourself.
4: Yeah. Just set it straight right out the gate. Right. It's not what happens, is it? No. A little more complex than that.
0: A little more convoluted? A little more convoluted. He calls Isabella insane. But then he realizes, you know what? She's actually a little bit too logical to be fully insane. So, hey, tell us your story. She tells the whole story about how Claudio was sentenced to death for impregnating his fiance, And then she says that Angelo tried to – said, you've got a choice. You can save Claudio, your brother's life, by having sex with me. That's the only way that you're going to get out – that he's going to get out of this – She refuses at first, but then she cooks up this fanciful solution with this friar. We all know the friar is the Duke, and the friar and Isabella bring Mariana, a long-ago jilted um, fiancé of Angelo, and they say, Mariana... Isabella is going to tell Angelo that, he'll, that she'll sleep with him. But instead, you go sleep with him. That will save my brother's life. Instead, that all that happens, but instead, Angelo is like, you know what? Let's kill Claudio immediately. I got what I wanted. I got to sleep with the woman. But I'm going to kill um, Claudio anyway, and I'm going to kill him more quickly. So that's the cry of justice from Isabella. Mm -hmm. Isabella is dismissed by the Duke. He orders her off to prison. And then we meet Mariana again. She is veiled. She's a witness. The Duke and her have a little wordplay. I don't know fencing match she says are you married no are you a maid or a widow widow no and the duke is like well come on where what are you and mariana says well i've slept with my husband but he doesn't know it so therefore i'm not a maid and we're not married so therefore i'm not um a wife either Mm -hmm. so that's a fun little bit of Mm wordplay this whole time we know the answer to the problems. We just are waiting for the Duke to kind of reveal all. And it doesn't happen until the Duke says, you know what? I've got to speak to this friar that everybody keeps referring to. Mm-hmm. I'm, and so he, the Duke steps off mm-hmm. and then he comes back on hooded as this friar and the kind of climactic moment is the friar ta- having his hood taken off by Lucio after he and Lucio kind of like argue a little bit. Yeah. It's a lovely moment of revelation.
4: And we all see it coming. You, you, we
0: all see it coming. The, yeah, the that's exactly right.
4: Announcing. We know the reveal is coming. It's just like, how long do we have to wait for it to happen?
0: And it's a lovely bit of theater. In fact, let's hear the audio behind this, Galen. Um, this is Lucio and the Duke hooded... As the friar um, going back and forth, you're going to hear Lucio call the Duke friar a bald pated lying rascal.
1: Foul so, so, Why,
0: you bald pated lying rascal! Oh, you must be hooded, must you? Show your knave's visage with a pox to show your sheep biting face and be hanged an hour. We'll not off? <laughs> Thou the first
1: knave that e'er made'st a duke.
0: That was Lucio arguing with the duke, and the duke, after having pulled back his friar's hood and revealed himself as being the duke, saying, Thou, Lucio, art the first knave that ever madest a duke. So, now everything is going to be made clear and Right. But not before Isabella is asked by Mariana to kneel before the Duke and to ask for forgiveness for Angelo. And this is while Isabella still believes that that Angelo has killed her brother. It hasn't been revealed that her brother is still alive. That's going to happen a little bit later. And Isabella does it. She kneels with Mariana and she says, listen, when he started, he had good intentions. I think you should give him grace for that. And so it's a remarkable, it's a remarkable, bit, remarkable bit of forgiveness. I said at home to you, this really feels like a Christ-like moment. Like we ask that you forgive the person who has done us the most wrong. It's a beautiful moment. Mm-hmm. And now we move on to the Duke making all these marriages and the surprise one you called it galen marie you called it didn't you it's at the end of the last show i said like what are we going to be looking for in act five and you said it
4: yeah isabella and the duke like why not these two noble characters who have been in cahoots like He's been helping her out behind the scenes. He's gotten to know her. Um, Why not? Why not? Why not?
0: Why not? Mm -hmm. So this is maybe the big question. Like, why not? Does it work for the play? Does it make sense of these characters? Mm -hmm. And I have asked a special guest to come on and join us Let me give you her bio before I welcome her to the show. Mary Pat Rogers gratefully received her master's degree from the University of Dallas, and she's been teaching rhetoric, Latin, British literature, especially Shakespeare, in classical schools for the last 10 years. Mary Pat, welcome to the show. We're delighted to have you here.
2: Yeah, thank you so much Tim. I'm delighted to be here. Wait,
0: you you've got you've got kids too.
2: I do. I have two kids. Um our kids actually share a name. Um so what? our what? Daughter, They do? Yeah. Um our daughter uh is named Juliana Arden. Oh, beautiful. Isn't that great? That's awesome.
0: That is great. That is great. And she, I assume, is also named after the Forest of Arden. And as you like it, is that true?
2: Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Directly from Shakespeare. Yeah.
0: Yeah. We're officially in like Shakespeare nerd land. This is like, this is so (laughs) great. This makes me so happy. Um, Mary Pat, I want to, I want to ask you a question about your master's work. And I want to ask you, what was the question in your master's thesis that you were trying to answer about measure for measure. And then I want to ask you in a second how your thesis answered it. But first, what do you, what would you say the question was that you were trying to answer?
2: I think ultimately the what the work was trying to answer was whether or not uh, Shakespeare cares about his characters, right? Like, does he mm. sacrifice Isabella specifically uh, at the end of measure for measure? And that was really where the where the thesis was trying to go.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Um, To catch our audience up, I want to play the very last monologue by the Duke. Everything has been set straight. Um, Angelo is now engaged to Mariana. Um, Forgive me, Claudio is now engaged to Juliet. Uh, Lucio is engaged as kind of a punishment to this punk, this prostitute that he kind of was bragging about sleeping with, Kate Keepdown, subtle name. And the very end, there's a proposal, it sure sounds like, from the Duke to Isabel. Let's listen to the audio. This is the very, clo- these are the very closing lines of the play. She,
1: Claudio, that you wronged, look you restore. Joy to you, Mariana. Love her, Angelo. I have confessed her, and I know her virtue. Thanks, good friend Aeschylus, for thy much goodness. There's more behind that is more gratulate. Thanks, Provost, for thy care and secrecy. We shall employ thee in a worthier place. Forgive him, Angelo, that brought you home the head of Ragazine for Claudio's. The offense pardons itself. Dear Isabel. I have a motion, much imports your good, where to, if you'll a willing ear incline. What's mine is yours, and what is yours is mine. So, bring us to our palace, where we'll show what's yet behind that's meat. You all should know.
0: That was the Duke speaking to Isabel. Dear Isabel, I have a motion much imports your good. Where to? If you'll a willing ear incline, what's mine is yours and what's yours is mine. So bring us to our palace where we'll show what's yet behind. That's made, You all should know. That's the text. Nothing more in there from Shakespeare's hand other than an exit. So, Mary Pat, you told us what the question was that your thesis was trying to answer. Can you tell us what the thesis ended up arguing?
2: Well, originally, the thesis ended up arguing that Shakespeare at least attempts to save Isabella. Uh, particularly from the Duke and he, and that he's doing so using something that I was calling a rhetorical silence, Mm. Uh, silent moment two silent moments specifically that are acting rhetorically rather than just uh, as a void. And that both of those silences can be read textually as a, not not only a, a refusal to marry him, but a re entrance into the uh life as a poor Claire, as a as one of the nuns of St. Clair.
0: Can you tell us where those silences fall? Sure.
2: Yeah. So we have uh one of them uh that we heard in the audio that was just played. Uh so the second one occurs uh, right, um, right after he um, says, "Where to? If you'll, if you'll a willing ear incline, mm. uh, what's mine is yours, and what's yours is mine." That line actually ends in a a, a poetic caesura, um, and so there's a space there for her to interject if she wanted to, or was allowed to, or you know, however you kind of want to think right. about. Um, so there, there's one, and then the other one is uh, the during the right after the first uh, marriage proposal that he gives, and he actually asks her to speak there. Um, mm. Second time he asks her to listen. So the first time he says, um, "Give me your hand and say you will be mine." He is my brother too, and then there's this mm. mistake in the middle of line. Um, where there's a pause. I mean, there's a hard stop there in the middle of the line. And then he says, but fitter time for that. It's almost like depending mm-hmm. on how long that um, that pause is, that can be a really awkward moment.
0: Yeah.
4: Mm-hmm.
0: Okay. So I, I just have to interject here. No, go ahead, Galen. Go ahead, Galen.
4: Well, but fitter time for that. It, it sounds like after the second pause, there's, Okay, but we'll talk about this in in the castle. Like, let's go on. So he's kind of like moving it along after an awkward silence both times.
2: Both times, yes. Yeah. He he doesn't. Um, he does. Tr- he does either uh, fill the void because he was expecting there to be a void, or he fills it because now there is one, and he
0: doesn't. He wasn't expecting it.
4: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah.
0: When we were watching, we watched the old BBC version from the mid 80s. And Galen, I wonder if you remember this. When the Duke says those last lines, Mm -hmm. the camera holds her in frame with the Duke. And there is a long pause, right? And then he's holding his hand out the whole time. And it's probably, what do you think, Galen? A five-second pause?
3: Mm-hmm. Which long in enough. screen
0: time, it's a long time, right? And then she, gives, she puts her hand in his. And, and they cheers. Hand in hand. Yeah, everyone cheers. Mm-hmm. And I didn't say anything to Galen because Galen is just taking this act by act by act. Mm-hmm. And I knew a little bit about what you argued, Mary Patton. I just wanted to be like, can't pick up on anything here, namely that the text does not have any stage directions right there.
4: Yeah, no, I to- I totally didn't.
0: Because you kind of, in a way, you really, and I think this is part of being a good movie viewer, playgoer. You kind of entrust yourself to the director and the actors when you're watching it.
4: Yeah, I, I assumed they were interpreting yeah. it.
0: Yeah. It's a total safe assumption, Mm -hmm. but right. Okay. So Mary Pat, you, you make this argument that these silences are there. And do you argue that you think that Isabella takes the silences deliberately? Are you just saying this is something for the director? This is an option for directors. They need to decide this question.
2: Yeah, so that's that ended up being what the problem ultimately oh. was. Is it something that Isabella is running with, or is it just a artistic choice that someone can make? So initially, I I wanted to argue that it it was Isabella willfully choosing not to respond. Yeah, also choosing not to. Uh, give a flat out refusal, a verbal refusal
3: mm-hmm.
2: to the Duke. Um, she doesn't want to embarrass him, hopefully, right. Um, she is she has uh, completed the task that was set before her. So when she says that she's in the in act one, uh, when she says she's going to ask the mother for leave, uh, she that's kind of the plan. She's gonna go save her brother and then the idea is that she will return. And once her brother is safe, she doesn't really say anything else. Hmm. And the thing that I have found, I think, the most fascinating was that uh, silence is one of the vows that a poor Claire would have made.
0: Right. Yeah. Right.
2: Um, and so it works for Isabella to remain silent mm-hmm. as a as a move, actually.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Instead of saying no or, or or whatever, you know, saying yes, um, but that ultimately, by the time the thesis was finished and and approved, it, the I, th- I think the argument had to had to be that um, it's possible to read it multiple ways.
0: And do you do you stand by that, or did you feel like um, your thesis advisor? kind of needed you to, to, to I don't know, like have some wiggle room.
2: Yeah. Um, I think at the time I I really um, did not agree with the with the advisor's recommendations. Um actually I had two different advisors and so it cleared advisor one and did not clear advisor two. Oh wow. That made it even more convoluted as to what was who am I listening to? you know who do I uh-huh. at this point? Um, but it's been several years now since that thesis was finished, and so um i I have a lot more respect for the idea that it could go either way
3: mm.
2: um i've I've heard some arguments that are very, very specific about, you know, picking out one line in act three or something that saying, you know, like, well, it has to be this way because of this line. Um, I understand that there's a, there is a lot of, there's a lot of wiggle room there. And the, the main argument is that it, if Isabella doesn't marry the Duke, it throws the comic structure
3: a huge loop. Mm -hmm.
2: Whereas everyone else is marrying, you know, um, but, and, but even in my discussions with my advisor, I was saying, but she is getting married. Mm -hmm. Right. The church, you know, she's, she's, Herself to to God to the divine, and so um, there's still a marriage that's happening. It's just not the same mind. Yeah, but that didn't get very far.
0: <laughs> <laughs> it didn't get very far, really.
2: No, it didn't. It didn't get very far. Um, so it, um, and and I think that there is something to be said for for wondering if Shakespeare is trying to maintain a form? Is he trying to make yeah. structure or does he not care about the structure at this point in his career? Um, and that is not something that I, that the thesis that the thesis set out to answer and it's not something I necessarily have an answer for, um,
0: but. Could you in your thesis, I'm just so curious about this question and I find myself in great sympathy to what you're arguing. Could you in your thesis argue beyond the fence of Measure for Measure and go into other plays and say, look, it sure looks like in The Tempest he was messing with form and it sure looks like in The Winter's Tale he was messing with form. Did you, absolutely. were you able to do that? Yeah.
2: Yeah, in my thesis, I did not go beyond Measure for Measure uh, uh-huh.
0: the
2: space to really do that. But I think you could absolutely make that argument, right? That he is, especially later in Shakespeare's career, right absolutely trying to play with the forms and see what they can support and what they can't support right and i i could be totally wrong about this but i i think that this play was one of the first ones played for james the first
0: oh in my mental timeline without looking at it that makes sense i think that's right
2: um If yeah, I I could be remembering wrong, but I I think that that's correct, and that there's something. I mean, Shakespeare really has done all of the tragedy, comedy, yeah. history. He's he has done it all, and so it's time to have a little bit of fun. Um, yeah. So, yeah, that's
0: yeah. But that'd be another vote in your favor. Like, I mean, he surely. As wildly experimental as he was with language and with, like, customs, surely he took liberty with with comedic forms. At some... and, I, and also, for me, I mean, Galen and I talked about this on and off the air. Her vow, she was taking a vow of silence, and she was never going to speak to a man again, if I'm not mistaken. That gets yeah. mentioned in the play. yeah. That just seems like a real closing of the circle if she is silent before the Duke's offer.
2: Yes, and I believe that she is. I I um the last time that she speaks is when she's pleading for Angelo's life. Mm. And she ends up being successful. Yeah. That plea.
0: Her work is done. It's done. Yeah.
2: And she, the really fascinating thing is for me, I guess, I'm like Shakespeare nerd, um, but beyond the, beyond Shakespeare himself, um, there was, Shakespeare probably ran into some poor Clares. Mm. Um, where he was living. They wouldn't have been in a, um, in a cloister. Convent, uh-huh. They, they would have been, um. Dissolved, right, by, by Henry. Um, and so, but they still were, there were some still living in the area and they know that Shakespeare uh, saw their rule, the rule of life. Um, because Really? It's quoted in the play. And the, the rule of life is called Isabella's Rule.
0: What? No way. Um,
2: yeah, it's wild. It's wild. Wow. Um, so the... The naming of her, um, the way that, um, like what you're talking about, about not being able to talk to a man, that is part of the rule. Uh, Yeah. I just have a hard time moving Isabella into a position where she's going to marry a man.
0: Right. Mm -hmm. Right. Okay, let let me throw it back. Galen, Galen, I'm going to ask you to try to ignore or bracket everything that Mary Pat said, which I realize is going to be really hard. Yeah. (laughs) Can you, could you imagine when we finished watching the play the other night, could you imagine Isabella being happy with the Duke?
4: So to me, (laughs) it, it makes me think of, um, of the sound of music. I'm like, there's, in some way there's some part of me that thinks, but if the right man comes along who is mm. <laughs> just yeah. enough and 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 good enough and um and has enough like greatness in him, but also he's righteous, like maybe, maybe it could work. What I don't like the idea of is that he's like, You, I'll have you and she's yeah. like okay, uh, if, if that didn't sort of organically happen, then it's much less satisfying to me. I guess we'd have to believe that, that she has somehow fallen for him in the five seconds that she realizes that the friar is also him. And, um, and that's just a lot to ask. Yeah. So I certainly predicted and, and could see him falling for her. Uh, I can believe that she could fall for him, but but not quite the way that it played out. Yeah, so, right. So I love, I'm going to unbracket now, I love Mary Pat's um, addition here. It's this really compelling. Exciting to me.
0: I was already super sympathetic, but the fact that it was called Isabella's Rule. Yeah. And Shakespeare would have been in contact, I mean, just had some sort of contact with women who had taken on this rule, that just seems... Yeah. That's a, that's a heavy evidential stack in favor of Mary Pat's thesis for me.
4: I also, I have a question. Is, is it possible that, like... So it sounds like there's one interpretation where she refuses by, with her silence, and there's an interpretation where she accepts with her silence. Like, that's the BBC version we saw. Is there some other, mm. like, like, open to, like, we are left wondering, the audience really doesn't get to know at the end of the play?
2: So, Tim, you're probably more able to answer that question, but I, I know there have been versions of it played where okay. everyone else is exiting in pairs. The Duke exits alone huh. and Isabella is looking she she looks towards him as he's exiting and then she looks toward the opposite side of the stage and then she looks I I can't remember if it's like she looks back at him or she looks at the audience
4: mm. mm-hmm.
2: and everything goes dark
4: That's oh yeah, yeah I like that the clue. <laughs> yep
0: so the first time that I saw Measure for Measure, it was at the Oregon Shakespeare Festival. And the Oregon Shakespeare Festival was great at taking liberties. They, they gave their directors a lot of liberty, and the directors would take that liberty. Sometimes they kind of went a little bit too far, but oftentimes they would have really imaginative scene work. Um, and... They ended, in short, Mary Pat, if you saw the conclusion of the Oregon Shakespeare Festival's production that I saw, you, I think, would have been thrilled because she does not go off hand-in-hand hand with him. And the way that they stage it is, if I recall correctly, she is, um, she clearly feels something for the Duke, but... Whether or not she feels enough for the Duke to go back on her original vow, that is the conundrum that the play ends in. And I I think it's, it was beautiful because you do have these other couples that are going off toward marriages. We're especially happy for Claudio. And for Juliet, oh my gosh, they're going to get to be together after this potential terrible injustice being done. But then we kind of see a little bit off to the side, Isabella and the Duke kind of with a lot of space in between them and the play, just the director does not resolve the question. And I, I loved it because we still get the kind of closing of the comedic loop that, these, that comedies end in marriages, that is the form. So we get that, but we also see that there is one couple that's not quite there. And it, for me, it worked. It drew my attention to Isabella, and it really, really worked. I'm going to talk about one other play that they did. Um, Mary Pat, uh, Much Ado About Nothing. Have you paid attention to it? Have you read it recently? not read it recently, but yeah, so that's okay. Um, Hero is falsely accused. I can't remember his name of cheating and he breaks the engagement and then they're reunited at the end. But Hero has been shamed in front of everyone in front of her father, all of her friends, her waiting ladies, everyone. And then when Benedict and Beatrice get together, Hero and the character I can't remember, also are presumed to get together and go be married. But it's it's a really hard thing to accept that Hero, who just an hour earlier was humiliated in front of everybody, is like, oh, great, I get to marry this guy who just made me look like trash in front of everybody. The Oregon Shakespeare Festival <laughs> basically had her saying, no, I'm not going to do it. And she walks out to a corner of the stage and she stands there and she doesn't go in with the kind of marriage procession. And so that's the kind of solutions that the Oregon Shakespeare Festival would put forward. They're the same people that put that measure for measure plot solution forward. I just found it really satisfying in both instances. Okay, let's, let's ask a question about, and let's assume, for the sake of the conversation, that all of the proposed marriages happen, even Isabella and the Duke. What do we think about these marriages going forward after the play ends? Who are we, who are we optimistic about? Who are we pessimistic about? Galen? Galen?
4: Well, Fabio and Juliet, that's the obvious one.
0: Optimate. right, right. Great.
4: Happily ever after.
0: Right. Okay, that's a wrap. I, okay. I'm
4: feeling good about Angelo and Mariana. You are? She clearly loves him to the ends of the earth. So they've got that going for them. I want to think Angelo has, you know, he's been publicly shamed. Mm. He's sort of privately had a breaking moment. He's done things he should not have done. He knows he should not have done them. And no real consequences occurred. Like nobody was really hurt by all the terrible things that he did. So he should have a new lease on life and he should be grateful for this opportunity to be with a woman who loves him and move forward as a humbled man. That's what I'm hoping for Angelo.
0: Yeah, I mean, in this scene... He's asking for death. Yeah. He's like, I'll just go ahead and like take my head off. I know what I've done. I've, I've done wrong. Mary Pat, yeah. are you, are you um, <laughs> somewhat optimistic?
2: I I want to be optimistic, particularly yeah. for Angelo and Mariana. But man, I'm so sorry. I'm going to riff off of parents corner because it, <laughs> sometimes right Mm. and I I want to believe that Angelo is a changed man but that is also speaking of hard shifts it's a hard shift to go from begging for death Mm -hmm. to being happy in marriage Mm. (laughs) and that's a yeah turn yeah so i want to believe that they're going to be just fine but i think they have some work to do yeah they're going to be fine
0: yeah galen is a professional therapist and that might be like the challenge of your professional career galen oh
4: getting those two make
0: it helping them make it although i actually will say i'm gonna let's go to lucio and kate keep down that might be the bigger challenge, actually. <laughs> is anyone feeling optimistic? Can anybody make a case that that marriage has got a really good shot?
4: I feel like I'm the eternal optimist here. I love it, Galen. Go for it. I love it. Please <laughs> you. Go. <laughs> um, all right. Lucio is just, he's a playboy. He's just been frittering away his life. And... Kate keep, keep down, she's probably pretty cool. She's <laughs>
0: <laughs> why not, yeah. I think,
4: I think sometimes when people who are way too loosey-goosey and open and their lives are unstructured, when there's structure imposed on them,
3: mm.
4: sometimes sometimes they respond well. Sometimes it goes well. And uh maybe they can be, I don't know, kind of playful together. Yeah. I'm, s- I'm stretching a little bit there, but sure. that's my... But that would be great. Uh, yeah. That would be great if they would I, just
3: piece it together.
4: Yeah, yeah, just make it work. I think this is the beauty of the comic ending, right? It's like everyone gets married. We can just kind of wrap, tie it all up with a bow and be like, maybe it's all going to work out. Maybe yeah. everything's going to be good.
2: Oh, man, the eternal pessimist. I'm not. I don't see them working out.
3: <laughs>
2: like, in a uh, t- typical understanding of marriage,
3: uh huh,
2: they're gonna, they're, there's, there's, there seems to be very little guardrail to keep them in their
3: mm-hmm. lane. <laughs> mm-hmm.
0: Lucio is so. I love him at the beginning of the play. I think he's hilarious. He's on the right side of justice. You know, he's recruiting Isabella. He's buddies with Claudio. And by the end, I'm just like, dude, have you not learned yet? Like, know the score before you start running your mouth. You keep running your mouth. And it keeps like, what's the old saying? Your, Your mouth is writing checks that your bank can't pay. That that's man, that's Lucio. He kept running his mouth and finally he gets unmasked as soon as when the Duke throws back his hood. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my gosh. In the
4: beginning he's like really pushing Isabella to to make her argue yeah. with Angelo. And without that, it seems like she would have just slunk back and none of you know, not saved her brother's life. So he's important in that in that part.
0: For sure. Yeah, absolutely. He's very important. But it just goes all downhill. Yeah. goes all downhill from there. Okay. It sounds like...
2: Like when he goes downhill. Like what's the point in the play where the turn... But, that would be interesting to uh-huh. see.
0: If I recall it, the moment that I remember him yeah. turning south is when he is having that private conversation with the friar duke Mm -hmm. after the friar duke is in prison kind of beginning to work his magic Mm -hmm. and he kind of bumps into lucio and they have that comedic moment but is there something that leads that moment that maybe makes lucio turn a little sour i I don't
2: know
0: yeah 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 i don't know either I don't, I don't I don't recall and I don't remember when watching the play and like, oh, now Lucio is going to be the, you know, the branded pessimist who can't stop running his mouth anyway.
4: I mean, the only thing that I could maybe see is that, I mean, he's really fighting for Claudio to be saved. In the yeah. Beginning. And then at a certain point, everyone's like, it's not going to happen. There's no hope.
0: Yeah, he him. gives up hope. Yeah. And
4: Angelo is now the... You know, the, there's this reign of terror and everyone just has to sort of accept it. Um, and, and maybe Lucio's way of dealing with that is just to get silly, just to like yeah. nothing matters, make it super light, be playful.
0: Um, I can imagine that. I can see that. Mary Pat, we're going to start closing up shop. I'm going to ask you, where does Measure for Measure rank for you? Is this like one of your favorites? Is it middle of the pack what What do you think about it overall as a piece of theater work by William Shakespeare?
2: I love this play it's definitely top three for me
0: really really?
2: I don't love teaching it though mm. and I think it's because I love the play i I don't um we just don't you don't ever have time in a classroom to kind of like. Get all of the nuance, and um, you can't you can't throw a complex comedy at young students. Yeah, <laughs> that's not what they need. Um, right. So, yeah, I I love the play. I would love to. Um, I've seen a couple of performances of it. I'd love to see more. Um, but yeah.
0: Does the, does the play? For me, the first three acts are like incandescently good. They're so rhetorically powerful. I struggle with acts 4 and act 5. It seems like Shakespeare kind of like bolted on a murder mystery or something like that that you know um, yeah. um do, do the last two acts bother you at all?
2: They they do, well so I notice them more
0: uh,
2: mm. because they are they are more upsetting for sure.
0: Yeah.
2: Sort of the reason, and you're right, the the first three acts are rhetorical, rhetorical genius is
0: happening
2: yeah. on stage. But, um, and of course, Isabella is a big part of that. She's not the only part, but she is a big part of that. And yeah. If, uh, things start unraveling for Angelo, who's kind of our other rhetorical genius that, you kind of start sensing like everybody's losing a grip mm. <laughs> going on. Um, and, and this is part of what um, part of the question of the thesis was, you know, does Shakespeare sacrifice his heroine? Um, if he does, that sacrifice is very slow. Mm. Is uh, her line count diminishes over the course of the play so that all, almost all of her lines are in the first three acts.
3: Uh-huh.
2: You hear very little from her in the last two acts. And so there's this move away from Isabella, uh, mm.
3: that,
2: like a, almost a removal of autonomy. She's not mm. of managing her affairs anymore. Um, and so I think that that lends to that, that shift in feeling, yeah. how we feel about the different acts. Um, because if she was, if she sparkled all the way through, it wouldn't be the same play.
0: Yeah. So why not have her sparkle the whole way through? Why not? Because it becomes the Duke's play. The last two acts, it becomes the Duke's play.
2: Which is a shame.
0: And it, right, because it diminishes the play totally.
2: Yeah. Um, and I, I mean, and I wonder, I think that's kind of where um, getting more into the history of it and, you know, if mm. it's the first play that James I and the first sees and that he's the, um, you know, he's the,
0: he's the Duke coming into the city.
2: Duke coming in. Yeah. Um, you can imagine that Shakespeare wouldn't necessarily have a lot of leeway. Yeah. Isabella Sparkle the whole time, right? She's yeah. Somebody, the Duke has to rule and reign at the end of the day.
0: Yeah. Yeah, that's a, that's a great, that insight kind of helps absolve a little bit the, the kind of problems of the last two acts for me. Mm. It doesn't make the play any better for those last two acts, but I think it, it's a little bit of an understanding about why Shakespeare, his hand might have been forced Hmm. Yeah,
4: can we can we just ask what what the duke was up to this whole time? Yeah, what was the I duke like up to, from
0: Mary Pat?
4: Pat?
2: That that is the question. right? What is doing? I don't know. I yeah. because at the end, his last two lines bring us to our palace, where we'll show what's yet behind. That's meet you all should know. Like there, there mm. is something else happening. Yeah. Like totally behind the scenes, no one has any clue what's going on. What is it? Yeah. yeah. Or is he just calling everybody bluff? I don't know.
4: Hmm. And there's probably I'll tell you what's going on. Yeah. Okay. Let's go. But
0: after the play ends. Oh,
4: wow. yeah, yeah, yeah. When no one else, when the come audience come back is here, longer. let's let the curtain
0: fall. I'll let okay. you guys know.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: And I, for me, I don't know if there's enough textual evidence to make a real rigorous case that like. The secret plan was X. Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. I I couldn't pick it out.
2: Mm-hmm. So I mean the
4: mystery
0: is part of the play.
2: He certainly doesn't, even if he even if his whole point is to out Angelo. Mm. Mm-hmm. There's no way that the Duke could have pinpointed that Angelo was gonna go for Claudio. Mm. Isabella. Was going to step in for Claudio, right? There mm. are so many moving parts in all of the choices that Angelo could have made that he didn't make.
4: Yeah. I
2: think the Duke is just flying by the seat of his pants. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Probably so. At the end of the day, it sure seems that way. Um, hey, um, Galen, go ahead. Go ahead. I...
4: I'm sorry. I have more <laughs> thoughts. I know we need to wrap it up.
0: I want to hear. You're, I want to hear this thought one yeah last thought.
4: okay when the Duke in the um, when Isabella accuses the uh, Angelo and the Duke doesn't immediately clear it up it seems like that is giving Angelo one last chance to be honest mm. um, or to incriminate himself to like say that lady's crazy she needs to be locked up and mm. then his fall is even worse because he has said publicly like she's called him out and he has said publicly nope it's on her so he gets another chance to be like to do another terrible thing um to me this whole play is about angelo it's the fall of angelo um and his ultimate like possible redemption or at least the grace given to him by isabella um Mm. And the most powerful moments to me, although Claudio's, you know, monologue is very powerful. The most powerful moments to me have been watching Angelo crumble and make these decisions, like going downhill. Um, And then his redemption at the end, or his his forgiveness at the end is just so powerful. It seems like all these machinations could be just to create this arc for him um, somehow. That's... yeah. That was just
0: my one. <laughs> Plausible to you, Mary Pat, that this is all about like it's like a test is what you're saying, Galen. It's a test. The Duke is testing Angelo
4: it seems like it, yeah, absolutely,
2: yeah. yeah, um I mean, he wants to know what Angelo is made of. I think he I think he has some knowledge, he knows some of it, but he doesn't know how far down it goes into Angelo, yeah.
3: yeah.
2: And uh, I guess the question that I still have, though, is why? Okay, so, like, mm-hmm. so if Angelo is the second in command, is it all just a training ground mm. for later? Is this right, with
0: human lives at stake?
2: Yeah, with is this Angelo's training ground? Yes, mm-hmm. or someone could have been beheaded. Someone was actually,
0: yeah. but
4: we didn't really know him, so it's fine. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, it, it strikes me that there's a kind of metaphor here in in the way like human life goes that that there's temptations there's all kinds of opportunities mm. to make terrible decisions and there's something kind of beautiful but but surprising about the grace given to him at the end despite all the mistakes he's made mm-hmm. um, by this christ like figure Isabella yeah but yeah, why in Within the context of the play, not as a metaphor, but just in the reality of it, why would, why would the Duke go to all this trouble? It seems like it's for, yeah, for Angelo, as opposed to like, because if he really thought highly of Angelo and wanted him, wanted to test him, it seems like his prior knowledge of the fact that Angelo's kind of been a jerk to Mariana plays against that, that he doesn't yeah. really believe in Angelo. And he kind of maybe knows he's going to fall or at least thinks it's
3: possible.
4: So it's another mystery. There are just a lot of mysteries here.
0: And the pace of the drama keeps moving forward so swiftly that you kind of don't ask it in the middle of it. Like we're we're letting these acts breathe and we're taking time between each act to discuss them. But when you just watch it straight through, the forward momentum kind of blocks your ears a little bit against asking this big question, which is a really significant question. Like, Duke, what are you doing? Why are you doing this?
4: So you both love this play. And are the mysteries part of what you love about it? The unanswered questions.
0: For me, the Isabella silence is a huge part of my attraction to the play. Yeah. Without a doubt. The Duke thing, the Duke's bizarre reasoning,
3: mm-hmm.
0: rationale for setting all these things in motion. I actually think it's a weakness. Mm. What do you think, Mary Pat? Are the mysteries appealing to you?
2: I would second what you said, Tim. The The way that the Duke maneuvers um, and the kind of the open-endedness of some of that is, I think it could have been cleaner.
3: Yeah. Mm-hmm.
2: It's terrible to say about Shakespeare. You could have fixed it, man. Um, <laughs> but yeah, Isabel, Isabella, I just fell in love with Isabella.
0: The first oh, no doubt. It,
2: um, mm-hmm. And had a very clear desire to see her instated, even from act one, even from the time that she leaves the cloister. Mm. Had a desire to see her succeed and return.
3: Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's,
2: I mean, that was already coloring my reading, I know. Um, so to me, the rest of it is just a side story kind of
0: yeah, filler.
4: Yeah, <laughs> it's all
2: Isabella. Yeah.
0: Hey, I want to thank you both for coming on the show. This has been a great joy. You heard in my bio of Mary Pat that she's been teaching at a classical school for the last 10 years. This show is platformed by the Circe Institute, which is at the vanguard of the Christian classical renewal. I encourage you to go look at their website, circeinstitute.com. That's C-I-R-C-E. Our next play, King John, will complete... All of the works of Shakespeare on this podcast—it's a kind of momentous, I don't know, uh, recording for me. And I have asked the some of the original kind of members of the podcast, David Kern, Heidi White, and Sean Johnson, to join me for King John. And I think we're even going to have some. Um, recorded memories from some of our guests in previous episodes. So um, I encourage you to listen to King John. It will be coming out in about one week. Meanwhile, Mary Pat, thank you so much for joining us. It was illuminating and really fun to have you on.
2: Thanks so much, Tim. It was a pleasure of mine.
0: Galen Marie, thanks for being on the podcast. Absolutely. I really appreciate it. And listen, I'll see you at home in just a little bit.
4: All right, sounds good.
0: Hey guys, show's not over. I'm at home and I walked in the door and Galen said, I think I know what the play's about. And I insisted that we like record it. Galen, what's the play about?
4: <laughs> well, it's sort of, sort of like, dawned on me that this is my interpretation as we were talking with Mary Pat, and I I just could not just say it. I was like, this, this feels too bold, and what do I know? And now you're making But when you, you said
0: it to me, when you said it to me, I was
4: like, that's a great interpretation. <laughs> well, now you're making me say it to everybody. <laughs> so, like I said, I really think, to me, this play is about Angelo. It's about the fall of Angelo and um and that it's possible that all this has been constructed um to sort of give him an opportunity to he's being tested, right? We kind of said that. And and what's hard to buy in the context that it's in is that we don't think he's worthy of this opportunity. He doesn't, it seems like the Duke already knows he's not worthy of this opportunity. And it just struck me that this is a metaphor potentially, for for human life, for what God gives us, mm-hmm. and that if the Duke is in the role of God saying, "Hey, I know you're not perfect, but here's your opportunity. Here's your freedom.
3: Mm-hmm.
4: here's Here's the playground, and you can make mistakes, and and he does. He sins, and then he sins to cover up the sin, and then he lies about it. Mm-hmm. I mean, he just goes all the way. And if Isabella is the Christ-like yeah. character, she comes in and pleads for him, like pleads for him to be forgiven and for the slate to be washed clean. Mm-hmm. And all he has to do is get married, like be in love. Yeah. Um, and he gets to walk out free. And it's really quite beautiful because you watch him, him tortured. In the midst of his sin, you know, he says, I wish I had not. And, and really everything is, well, I guess, like I said earlier, like all, he wishes he had not killed Claudio. Turns out he hadn't really killed Claudio. There's this total absolution mm-hmm. for him. And it's just this incredible grace. And he's not worthy of it.
0: Right. Mary Pat and I said at the end of the show, first three acts are about Isabella. Last two acts were about the Duke. But to your point, the whole play is about Angelo. Angelo is f- forcing all of the action. Mm-hmm. And so if we think of him as sort of like, yeah, he's really kind of our protagonist. He's our main character. He's the one that we're watching to see if anything changes.
3: Mm.
0: It kind of unlocks the play. It's a very typological Christian interpretation of the play, and I think it works very neatly.
4: It also makes it this interesting
0: um,
4: interpretation of the Duke saying, "What's yours is mine, and what's mine is yours." Yes. Oh my God. To Isabella, because right. that marriage is already true. If yes,
0: absolutely. you know we take
4: them as as the metaphor
0: as representatives. Yeah. Mm-hmm. This is. I really like this.
4: It's fun. It's fun.
0: And it works really well. It
4: kind of does. But, um, you know, I still feel like, what do I know? That I, but but this is the beauty of Shakespeare, that there's there's a lot of richness there. So you get to play with it like this. So thanks, Tim.
0: Thanks, Galen. <laughs> it's late. Let's go to bed. All right. Good night.
3: <laughs> good night.